Hello everyone, welcome to the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, my name is Doc. I am a street medic, an anti-fascist, a hiker, and an herbalist based out of so-called New England. And in this podcast, I summarize the far-right fascist literature that I've had the displeasure of reading. I go into the backgrounds of the various authors, give context as far as the impact of the text on the fascist movement in the United States, and just generally make fun of these uh, bonehead shitbags as a way of coping with the horrible shit that I read so that folks hopefully might enjoy a critique and a trip down the rabbit hole with me. So for this episode, we're going to cover someone who is a big name among the fascist far right, but not a household name for those of us who have real jobs and are like socially and socially, you know, adequate human beings and who aren't, you know, socially inept incels. The topic of today's episode will be a man by the name of David Lane. For those of my listeners who might have happened to be alive in the 1980s, this name might sound familiar from background news uh, stories. David Lane was a member of the so-called Bruderschweigen. I'm probably butchering the German. Uh, the Silent Brotherhood, which was this direct action gang of neo-Nazi fucks who wanted to basically rob banks in order to finance far-right operations. When David Lane was inevitably caught because one of the boneheads he was partnered with snitched on him, he ended up being sentenced to something like 90 years in prison and dying in 2007, late, unlamented, and very much unmourned by those of us who are Nazi shitheads. So the book we're covering today is called Deceived, Damned, and Defiant, which is the revolutionary writings, quote-unquote, of David Lane. Uh, David Lane was the man who coined the 14 words slogan. There are actually two versions of the 14 words. The most common you'll hear among neo-Nazis is, we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children. There's another one that basically says something to the effect of, so that the beauty of the white Aryan woman may not perish from the earth. That's probably 17 words, and I'm butchering it. But it's basically women are baby factories for the white race, and this is good, and we need to maintain this as much as possible. Uh, So uh, we will just get right into the text with that out of the way. So uh, first things first, this is an incredibly long text. It was about 450 pages, about a third of it being mediocre poetry uh, laced with Nazi imagery and various swastikas and odes to the gorgeous beauties of white women that David Lane wished to, I'm not sure, something more than have sex with like like a normal person he wished to uh, use as baby factories for the white race. Uh, David Lane was not someone who was, by his own admission in the autobiography section, ever really good with women. Like he he didn't understand women as people and he, he would never approach an individual woman like as a person that he might want to get to know and might have something to contribute to himself and his life and his path through the universe. No, no, women are just wombs for the white race, I guess, or something boring like that. So, uh, the intro to this book was particularly interesting. I have quite a few notes here in front of me. Uh, to quote from the very uh, beginning of the introduction... There is one line that I happen to 
disagree with, believe it or not, shockingly. Uh, it says that there has been a lack of emulators, quote-unquote, emulators of the things that David Lane did as far as terrorism and bank robbery and so forth. Uh, there's also this line that sounds like something a Call of Duty nerd would say, which I enjoyed, where uh, the introduction writer says that David Lane is still writing and, and contributing to the quote-unquote movement from within prison, and it says that, quote, he hasn't surrendered. The battlefield has been changed for him by the enemy. The enemy being, of course, the government and the police and the media and so forth. Um, but that is a bit of a questionable assertion for reasons that we'll get into a little bit later. The, the best way of summarizing this actual text, I could probably just read off right here. I made sure to underline this. It says, quote, such a clarion call has to be propagated, not only briefly, but repeatedly and incessantly. And if there's anything David Lane accomplishes throughout this text, it's being uh, repeated and incessant and frankly boring, repetitive and annoying. Uh, it's just the same basic ideas over and over and over and over again. White people are the victims. White people are in danger. Capitalism is bad. Communism is bad. And Jews are victimizing white people for reasons that are unknown. Even though Jews are also racially inferior to the white man in every conceivable way. Uh, there's He's very openly anti-government, which... He's not anti-government for the same reason I, your host, a committed anarchist and anti-fascist and anti-government. His reasoning is that, quote, all existing governments in the once white political states now deny us hegemony. So we've included non-white citizens of these settler colonial states to some extent within these political processes, and this is bad for white people. Uh... So we should just re-marginalize black people, possibly even re-enslave them, uh, if not exterminate them. Definitely exterminate Native Americans, definitely exterminate Latino people, and so on. There's a lot of imagery around nature and, quote, and pardon the big word here, bioessentialism, which is the idea that social hierarchies are rooted in nature and that opposition to social hierarchy is opposition to the natural order of things. You may be familiar with uh, Jordan B. Peterson's insistence that lobsters have hierarchies, and this, therefore, social hierarchy is good. Uh, shout out to the Seriously Wrong podcast for picking that idea apart to great comedic effect. Uh, but you'll see that over and over and over again here uh, with lines such as, quote, Nature's highest law is the, presentation, is the preservation, rather, of one's kind. One's kind being one's race. Race being seen as a biological phenomenon that's definitely real and not at all socially constructed. So that, for example, if David Lane were dropped in ancient Rome, he wouldn't be stabbed for being a mouthy barbarian. He would be considered white and welcomed by the Romans, who were well-known as fans of Germanic pagans. Uh, oh, by the way, yeah, I forgot to mention, David Lane, big influence on the uh, so-called folkish Ossetru movement, uh, which I also have a bit of a personal history with, as I will also explore later on in this podcast. Uh, David Lane also doesn't believe in unique cultures among European people, so these distinctions between Celt and German and French and Italian and Greek and Russian and Polish and so forth don't exist for David. He wants to just loop us all into one big 
melting pot of vanilla boringness with no culture and no soul called whiteness. With lines such as, quote, We are one people and do not recognize artificial divisions by language or geography. End quote. Uh, so David Lane doesn't believe that cultures uh, are different between different peoples just because they share the same skin color. Like I, for example, uh, being Irish Catholic in background, have exactly as much as in common with a rich upper-class Church of England motherfucker who might be like, you know, the secretary of, of you know, MI5 fuckery or whatever. I have as much in common with a Brit as every other white person has in common with me. That's what David Lane is saying. And frankly, if someone tried to tell me that I have something in common with British imperialism, I would probably just commit various crimes that are best not listed in a podcast. Uh, David Lane is also explicitly anti-Christian, and this has been a big divide on the far right for a long time between people who are trying to bastardize Ossetru and pagan traditions, broadly speaking, and people who are trying to create a new form of racist Christianity. So you have, like, your traditional Catholics or tradcaths like Nick Fuentes, the uh, Germanic Christian churches in Nazi Germany who had a, had a uh, symbol of a crucifix with a swastika in the middle of it. So David Lane came down on the fuck Christianity, it's a Jewish religion, side of that divide, and that did not make him very popular on the far right, most of whom are coming from the Christian conservative side. Uh, moving ahead a little bit in the book, the preface is written by Katya Lane, who is, was, I don't know if she's still alive. Uh, if you are listening to this, Katya, uh, I'm sorry you had such terribly bad taste in men, uh, I mean, I, this isn't a matter of, oh, no, Katya Lane won't date me. Uh, this is more a general critique of your husband uh, was locked up in prison for decades for robbing banks and left you to take care of the kids alone, and that's kind of a shitty thing to do. And, uh, yeah, fuck you, fuck you too, Katya, because you were clearly involved and knew everything your husband was on about. And, uh, yeah, fuck you. Uh, so Katya Lane is listed as the, quote, mother of five children. She's what uh, the fascist right and those of us who oppose them would call a trad wife, which is just a housewife who thinks that being a housewife is not a choice, but a moral duty and a necessity for women so that they can be barefoot and pregnant and pumping out babies for the white race. Uh, did she happens to mention something interesting to me, uh, coming from a class struggle anarchist background, hence the title of the podcast. David Lane was a real estate broker who ran his own small business before he turned bank robber Nazi fuck. And uh, as usual, usually is the case with the fascist far right, you see that a lot of these guys are mediocre, uh, quote-unquote, petty bourgeois or small-time capitalist types, like a real estate broker. Uh, so moving ahead a little bit here... Uh, David Lane's wife, uh, Katya, lists her intent as, quote, Our intent is to lay foundations by which to guide future generations of Aryans. So she helped her husband formulate a religion called Votan's Vok uh, in order to worship the, quote, gods of the Europeans 
who are, of course, Odin and Thor and Tyr and Freya and so on. Which, for me, being a Celtic pagan whose ancestors worshipped Kernunos and Brigid and Dagda and the Morrigan, and who happened to incidentally drive the Vikings into the sea so that the Viking conquest of Ireland didn't actually work, uh, this is definitely news to me that the uh, gods of Asgard are supposed to also be my gods. I have no problem with people who do worship the heathen gods, um, but, don't, but, you know, don't tell me what to do. So moving ahead again, we're moving into a section where David Lane is writing under the pen name, God, I hate this so much, he's such a fucking nerd, Woden's son. W-O-D-E-N-S-S-O-N. Woden's, Woden's son. This is the poetry section of this book, which was just awesome. It was so, so, so awesome. It was, uh, I, I can't maintain the degree of sarcasm. It was fucking mediocre poetry. I hated it so much. Uh, the commentator who opens the section compares David Lane to his own Vietnam War service. So knocking over convenience stores in order to fund Richard Butler's uh, neo-Nazi bumfuckery in the middle of Wyoming is literally the same as volunteering to go serve in Vietnam. Which actually, I am inclined to agree with that. Uh, being an agent of imperialism and white supremacy is a terrible thing to do, regardless of if you do it in a rice paddy in someone else's country, or if you're fucking over some poor bank teller in Utah. You're both terrible people, and fuck you. Uh, the commentator author also says that uh, David Lane uh, embraces his ancestral heritage, and the gods and goddesses who were created countless ages ago in the collective consciousness of our Aryan forefathers. So the one of the main divides between actual pagans and the fascists who try to come into our spaces is that the fascists fundamentally don't believe in pagan traditions they're not interested in recreating new communities worshiping various sets of old gods in old ways they just use these because they're politically convenient and they tend to view them as sort of Jungian archetypes of Aryan supremacy rather than actually going to a bloat because a bloat is a fun place to be and you are actually like a devout pagan and you wish to commune with nature and pray to Thor or to Brigid or whoever uh, fascists don't actually believe corely in anything other than their own race and their own, like, small-time capitalist critique of capitalism. They don't actually have a firm spiritual system, and that attempt to build a firm spiritual system is one of the key divisions on the far right if we're going to smash them back into whatever log they crawled out from under. David Lane uh, got into an argument with Stephen McNallan, for those of you who don't know, Stephen McNallan was the founder of a group called the Ossetru Folk Assembly. Um, but McNallan later supported Lane as of 2017 and has quoted the 14 words verbatim. Now this is the part where I will get to my personal history with Folkish Ossetru and the Ossetru Folk Assembly. So I live in New England. Uh... I'm sure I've given enough information away to list my state, but that doesn't mean that I have to name the state I live in. But I live in New England, and years ago I was a 19-year-old kid in a shitty, abusive situation at home, and I wound up meeting some people who were pretty dope. They, you know, they, they, I was interested in pagan ideas and, and pagan imagery and so forth. 
And these were people who actually hung out and had a sense of community and worshipped Thor and Odin and the old Aesir. And I thought that this was a fascinating concept and I could not wait to learn more. So naturally, uh, I hung out with these folks once and they seemed like cool folks. And I started hearing some mixed bags about these new people I had met from other people in pagan spaces. Mixed things like, oh my god, please don't do that. Please don't join that group. Oh my god, oh my god, please don't do that. And so I thought, hmm, something seems weird here because all the people I'm hanging out with are white and they insist that we need to, quote, maintain the purity of our folk and our communities. And so I had a bad vibe off of these folks is the best way I could describe it. So I ended up uh, deleting the number of the, quote unquote, folk builder, which is what AFA calls its recruiters. And losing his number and refusing to have anything more to do with them because I just picked up these bad racist vibes. And it turns out that naive 19-year-old me was onto something. Because some years later, Asatru Folk Assembly was cited in a document called Declaration 127. And Declaration 127 is both a citation of the 127th verse of the Hava Mall which is this text of wise sayings from Odin. It's kind of like the book of Ecclesiastes, but for pagans, where it says, quote, uh, something to the effect of, when, you're, when you see injustice, speak up and give your enemies no peace. And so 127 different pagan organizations, heathen organizations to be more precise, got together and basically said, look, Stephen McNallan is a neo-Nazi going back 40, 50 years. He knew and hung out with David Lane. He hung out with Richard Butler. He hung out with the militia movement in the 90s. We know who he is. We know who his crew are and what they're about. And fuck them. They're Nazis. They're not welcome in heathen spaces. And uh, the Asatru Folk Assembly responded to this by purging their membership of everyone like me who is naive but anti-racist and basically sh tweeting like 14 words and explicitly flying like sun and rodden like black sun symbols and other nazi shit like that so they just went full nazi in response to being outed as nazis which was you know good to know that i didn't join a nazi organization by mistake so uh, anyway, yeah, so back to David Lane. David Lane ended up uh, spending the rest of his life in prison. Uh, he died in 2007. He's not missed by many. I don't know what his situation was as far as his kids, and I'm not going to weigh in on his uh, parenting skills too much, um, mostly because that just seems like in, uh, somehow an indecent thing for me to do, but also he's a Nazi, so fuck him. Uh, he ended up becoming another member of the vanguardist wing of the fascist movement. So just as a quick review, as I cited in the James Mason episode of this podcast, there's a fundamental split between the vanguardists and the mainstreamers in the fascist far right. So the vanguardists are people who believe that the best way to achieve a white ethnostate is to basically build a revolutionary movement based either on a party or on small cells of insurgents who are basically terrorists who go out and bomb infrastructure and shoot politicians and shoot media figures and kindergartens and mosques 
colleges, various other soft targets. Uh, and the mainstreamers are people who think the best way to do that is to slip under the radar in the conservative political spaces and basically insert themselves into conservative populist spaces and infiltrate the Republican Party in order to achieve state power that way. This is your, like, Groypers, for example, under Nick Fuentes is the perfect example of this, where they're openly Nazis, but also they're just respectable enough to where they get invited to Trump rallies, as recently happened in the Million MAGA march in D.C. Uh, there's a reason why Nazis... Uh, are successful at impersonating conservatives and less successful at impersonating anarchists uh, because, you know, anarchists actually believe in freedom and resisting government tyranny and empowering communities and so on and so on and so on. Conservatives don't believe in any of that shit, of course. Uh, but David Lane never did anything positive for anyone. David Lane was not any kind of poet. The poetry section of this book was honestly the most boring of the entire 450 pages that I had to go slogging through. Uh, it was originally, it's, it's another, yet another book where it's a, it was originally a collection of poems and a collection of essays that were badly thrown together into a book, much like Siege. Um, it was, I will admit, less boring than Siege. Siege is just the same three ideas repeated over and over and over again. Jews bad, whites good, go kill people, basically. This book is more like, uh, save white people, save white people, save white people, save white people, Odin, 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 Odin. Uh, the very boring, very repetitive, very mediocre, but not as boring as Siege. Uh, I can't really think of any drinking games for this book. I definitely would not recommend reading this book sober. Uh, it's just, it's, it's for anyone who doesn't have a podcast devoted to fascist literature to read. It's very boring. I, I don't recommend it. Uh, and David Lane was a generic piece of shit who absolutely deserved to rot in a hole. I'm not... I'm a prison abolitionist as a matter of principle. I don't believe in the authority of the carceral state or the that hierarchy and power are good things in society. But in any sort of society that I would want to live in, the shit that David Lane advocates could just not be tolerated. You, you can't say shit like that and then expect to just walk around like everything is fine. Like... No, David Lane was a horrible human being. He was a boring mediocrity his entire life. He grew up to be a real estate broker. He was a neo-Nazi sympathizer by his own admission since he was a young kid. And there was basically, I don't see any way from his own autobiography that he wouldn't have grown up to be a neo-Nazi shithead who died rotting in a hole, forgotten by everyone but his neo-Nazi buddies. Uh, the only thing I forgot to mention that I will mention real quick is that David Lane is also explicitly anti-cop. And he's anti-cop in a uniquely bonehead way where he has the line, quote, everyone in blue serves the Jew, end quote. And then literally six pages later, he goes on about how when he goes to this one uh, 
intermediary prison before his long federal sentence. He's in some local jail in like North Carolina or some shit. And it turns out that all the prison guards are Klansmen and he's openly snitching on his fellow inmates and collaborating with prison guards. And that's cool and good and something that should be emulated. So cops serve the Jew, except for when they serve the interests of David Lane, in which case cops are cool and good. Uh, presumably, if there were Jew cops, they were also cool and good because they were serving the interests of David Lane. Because these people don't have any core beliefs. They don't have friends. They don't have prison support. They're no they have nothing except the desire to reassert social hierarchy and domination, and they all want to be in charge. Every single big-name Nazi fuck on the fascist far-right is a wannabe Fuhrer. I like to call this phenomenon America's Next Top Fuhrer, and David Lane was playing America's Next Top Fuhrer in, like, 1985, and he lost. He lost out playing America's Next Top Fuhrer, and he died the death of a loser. This has been the Black and Red Book Review Podcast. I'm incredibly angry and frustrated that fascism is still a thing. Join me next time when I once again read some boring, horrifying, appalling fascist bullshit and pick it apart for the amusement of my audience. <sighs> Have a good day, folks.